Welcome back to EGAT. Everyone gets a trophy. It's Kevin Dunn. It's Paul Wadlington. It is raining cats and dogs. I never understood where that came from, and we actually looked it up on the show recently, and it was a, you know, sometimes you look stuff up and you go, what's the origin of that? And it's a cool backstory. Not on this one. It was some different language, which which kind of said Kador, and they were like, and all of a sudden in English, we said, oh, cats and dogs. So it's raining cats and dogs. But, man, I, there were people on the side of the road on Mopac this morning and with their hazards on, maybe going 20. I hadn't seen that in a long time. I'm sure at some point I've dealt with that. I know going down to the coast when I was a kid, we'd run into those rainstorms where, I mean, you just couldn't see in front of you. You couldn't see at all. It was dangerous as hell. Yeah, good old Texas flash thunderstorm. Uh, we can actually use that up here for the forest fires. But, you know, I actually remember a few Texas football games in September where we had that kind of downpour. Didn't, didn't we have a couple of early non-conference games? Yeah. Delayed because of huge thunderstorms? Yes, and one of those, it may have been non-conference. No, it would have been conference maybe the first year. Do you remember Corby Jones in Missouri coming down here with that rainstorm? Yes. 96, yes. 97, probably 96. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's part of Texas. And I'm going to I'm gonna send Kevin some pictures of, after this podcast or during it. But right now, it is apocalyptic outside. It's 1130 in here in California, San Francisco, and it is dark outside. It is, and the sky is bright orange and yellow. It's absolutely bizarre. It's all from the forest fires. The ash and all the smoke is caught up in the upper atmosphere, and it's effectively blotting out the sun so it feels like a black hole sun video by Soundgarden. pretty amazing unbelievable i've seen some videos uh some some photos i should say and so your i guess business partner former business partner drew a barking carnival and he runs the the barking or the the twitter profile right that's him and not you because i have a lot of people asking he does. Me. I, I try to stay off twitter for the sake of my sanity yeah, it's probably smart. I mean, because you're on message boards, so you got to pick one or the other. People that do both, God bless you. Unless you're just you got no life, and and you're that person that why we avoid both. Uh, but yeah, he was showing some photos and and really scary stuff. How close is that to you? Because you're in San Francisco proper. So I I, I guess I'm asking for all my wino friends. I, I don't drink a bunch of wine. I like wine, but I've got one of those systems that. I can have like two or three glasses, and it's like, all right, like it, it, I mean, literally, my system will will uh, shut down and it'll come back up. I've got some good wino friends that are worried about the Napa area. It, it, it it's not good intentions, but they're still worried. Yeah, they should be. Uh, so California, as with everything, takes the most short-sighted view possible, and so all Western states that are high desert and have a lot of forest and a lot of timber, they practice controlled burns, where you purposely set patches of land on fire because it's supposed to catch on fire. That's, that's how this stuff is wired. If there were no people here, this stuff would be catching on fire every 10, 15, 20 years because that's how the forests rejuvenate themselves and how they burn up all the leaf litter on the, on the ground, all the branches, and you get young little saplings, and that's how you regenerate the forest, and that's how you have a healthy ecosystem. Californians, in their wisdom, have not allowed control burns for 100 years. And at the same time, they like to develop and they like to build houses in some of the most uh, fire-friendly areas. Yeah. So once you allow homeowners to build a lot of homes in those areas and you don't also allow control burns, you basically have a, a century worth of tinder, and it's basically a box that matches laying on the ground just waiting for a careless moron. So one of the big fires that was set in Northern California was caused by a baby reveal party. I saw uh, that. Ugh, got so it, got it. They, I, rented, a, they I, rented a smoke machine, Kevin, and ugh. it went out of control, and rather than put it out themselves or call the fire department, they fled. <laughs> they just fled, and it ended up burning, I think, something like 70,000 acres. I, I mean, I, there's too many people in, in prison and jail, uh, specifically for selling weed. But I, yeah. <laughs> I and no, seriously, I mean, because we're paying for them and it's like, look, it, it, it's. No, I know what you're going to say. You're right. But, but they need to be in jail for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. They need a little quiet time for themselves. Yeah. Time out. 
time out for yeah, ti- time out for Tucker, who's going to be born. Oh my God! Can you believe that? So anyway, that's the deal with old California, and so uh, yeah, I basically live in apocalyptic hell. And uh, but I already knew that. This is just a continuation of the metaphor. It, it, it really is, unfortunately, with with what that state's becoming. It, it, New York and California are doing everything they can to make what are incredible states, and specifically three or four cities maybe in California and one in New York uh, as unlivable as possible, and people are fleeing. It's it's pretty crazy. So I'm looking at the pictures you just sent me. Uh, Paul's not being hyperbolic. I mean, it, it is. It's like almost looks like an old Western that, that was shot, and it's certainly apocalyptic. I, I don't know if I've ever seen that sky. Yeah, I mean, it's actually kind of beautiful, but uh, the, the sky is not supposed to look like that. It's 11 a.m. here. And uh, you're not supposed to have darkness and a, and a dark orange sky. Uh, it's, it's really strange. Anyway, if you guys want to Google it, because I can't send you all pictures. I'll tweet but, it out. Uh, I'll tweet it out. Yeah, tweet it out. It's, it's really bizarre. It's kind of surreal. And, uh, hey, man, we, we send some of those thunderstorms over here because we need them. Yeah, well, no, we actually needed it, too, so hopefully everything will be all good for Saturday. Uh, I'm looking at some of the forecast, and so it's been unusually uh, cool here. And, yeah, which is, yeah, really nice. And here it is. So it's 77 right now. It is supposed to be high of 90, low of 71 for Saturday. And sunny, too, but that's the weather guessers, and, and we're a couple days away, a few days away. But I did. I almost thought it'd be so 2020 to have what is usually right now, it's really damn hot. And you think about some of the kickoffs, opening games, home games, the season openers you've gone to, and just how hot you were. And think about this would have been a perfect time to have 100,000 there that actually could have dealt with it. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think you have a lot of people with some pent-up urgency and and a need for a release, and football is coming along at just the right time. I like the fact that you called meteorologists weather guessers. Yeah. Which is, which is, I think, a more accurate description, but you sound like some Mongol Khan who's conquered a new territory and is like, bring in the weather guessers. <laughs> we must know. We must having to throw bones of animal on the ground and tell us what the moon portends, right? <laughs> right, exactly. We will dunk her in fire, and if her hair is on fire, we will have a hot summer. Yes, exactly. And then we'll, we will know she was innocent of being a witch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Congrats. Congrats. <laughs> you, you, you are now dead. Your, your head is burning. Uh, hey, all right. you know what's not, not dead? It's college football, my man. Dude, we're, we're playing a football game this Saturday. Well, we're not playing, but Texas is playing. Oh, we are? Because, oh, man, this is why I shouldn't start this show after being on Twitter for an hour because I was following. Oh, no. No, oh, no. I, I was no. I was following Pat Forty and Dennis Dodd, and they're talking about how oh. all these Big 12 teams are canceling. Now they're non-conference games, so – we can get into that. Maybe the Big 12 made the wrong decision. But, I, I mean, it, it, you know, I, I see a lot of gloating already from the people that strangely are rooting against 18 to 22-year-olds. Yeah, these are shockingly stupid people. And, and let me tell you why. So, one of the games that was canceled, Louisiana Tech. That was a hurricane. Uh, the hurricane. Who, who is La Tech playing in the Big 12? Uh, they're playing Baylor, I believe. Baylor. So they canceled that game. So up until a hurricane right. occurred, uh, Louisiana Tech had basically three COVID-positive tests in their whole program. Then they sent everyone home for a week to huddle up from the hurricane, and they came back and had 30-plus co- uh, positive COVID tests. So what, what concept does that prove that you and I have been arguing all along? It proves that you're safer, there's more accountability, and you're going to be in a more closed space outside of being back home when you are the big, big shit in your town from being the college football guy and you're going to be out at every party. You're actually less – there's a much better chance you're going to get it being, being at home. And obviously you're not taking exactly care of right. as much. And, and by the way, 
Kevin's not exaggerating about the party because you're thinking, oh, no, no, you just shelter in your home during a hurricane. No, no, no. Louisiana, my, my, my family's from Louisiana. It's a party. There's something called hurricane parties. Yeah. And you get through a hurricane by inviting everybody over. You have drinks. You uh, basically enjoy the hurricane. And when the eye of the hurricane happens to pass over your house, you go look at stars. Outside and look, looked at it. Yeah. It, well, it, and with the eye, you can look up and see stars, which is the crazy thing if it's a big enough eye. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's it's so anyway. Yeah, I, I think it's so stupid, and I, I the shocking stupidity of these people is amazing. And one thing that I noticed none of them have pointed out is Kevin. Do you realize that a large number of the Big Ten states, as well as Pac-12 states, are playing high school football right now? Oh, and they haven't had a single instance of community outbreak that's been traced to a football game. So think about if you're Ohio State or Penn State, okay? Michigan. Michigan. But okay, so Michigan throw sure. the throw them in there too. But Ohio State and Penn State, I know for sure that yes. that high school football's playing. Cincinnati and Pitt are playing. The Browns, Bengals, and Steelers are playing, but you're not playing. That's gotta suck, man. You you gotta feel almost singled out. Well, the the state of Utah is playing high school football. Michigan, so I, they're not playing right now, but they've just given, gotten the go-ahead to play them in early September. They're going to start the season. And as well, state of Colorado is going to start playing high school football. So the Colorado Buffaloes can't play football. The Denver Broncos can play football. But, uh, you know, Boulder High is going to be getting it on with Longmont uh, in, in the Terror Dome here soon. Sure. And at the same time, You've got these people arguing with a straight face that this is purely about player safety. And the fact is, who has more resources? Who has more testing? Who has more hygiene protocols? Who has more ability to uh, create a bubble such as it exists, right? A college or a high school, a public high school? Give me a break. Yeah, no, it's... I look, I, I still understand the the not fear, but maybe the apprehension with with is this thing going to actually finish? And it, it will finish. I guess I guess the biggest question is how many delays are there, and is there a team that's going to have to say, hey, you know what, uh, we we don't have enough to play here. The good thing with football is that if that hasn't happened in basketball and in baseball, and remember, baseball doesn't have a bubble, then it's happened with the Cardinals but they've still been able to to get through it and actually get back and play. I would think there's a less chance with 85 guys and, and even more when you're talking about walk-ons, but there's no doubt it could uh, it, it could affect depth. So I understand the people that are earnestly coming from that point of view, but some of the, the journalists we've talked about, this is about I had an opinion and I want to be right. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, um, you know, you just have to process the evidence as it comes in. You know, one thing that I fear – our listeners, Kevin, is they're missing out at a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to respect their home mortgages. Right. Would you like to hear more? I would love to. All right. Well, I've been talking to our pal Gabe and the Gabe Winslow mortgage team, and I asked him just straight out, is there any reason to refi if you have a three-and-a-half 3.75 4% note on a 30 year because historically Kevin as you know that is a screamingly low interest rate you're you're basically you should be humming and whistling as, as you look at your mortgage payment every month right and the answer to that is you should be refined if you have anything at a 3.5 or higher you should be refined and if, if you guys are freaking out right now hearing that information let me lay some numbers on you it's just pure math so if you have a $300,000 mortgage and you've got a 3.5% interest rate, which, as I've said, is an amazing interest rate, you can currently, with Gabe, get $500 off closing by mentioning this podcast, and you can save $102 a month. You're going to break even at the three-year mark, which is the general rule of thumb for refining. That's the general industry understanding and financial, you know, financial consumer understanding of what it's worth it to refi. It's three years, and that's exactly when you'll break even. And then over the lifetime of your loan, you're going to save $37,000. So that's if you've got a 3.5% loan. If you have a 4% loan, Kevin, on the same $300,000 house, right now your break even is 20 months. 
Wow. Two zero. You're going to save $67,000 over the life of your loan by calling Gabe and mentioning this podcast. Here's the other thing. A lot of people don't want to refi because, one, they're complacent or they're not sure about the numbers or if it's going to work. Well, those were the numbers. And secondly, they don't want to necessarily put some money down if cash is a little bit tight. That stuff can all be worked out. You can do very low money down refis. You can do zero down refis. It's all a matter of structure and how you want to do it. Interest rates are freakishly, screamingly low. And this is a great opportunity to get your financial house in order. Give Gabe and his his mortgage team a call at 832-557-1095. That's 832-557-1095. Mention this podcast and mention the numbers that I just talked to you about. Say, hey, Gabe, I've got a 3-5. Demonstrate to me that you can save me the money that, that was promised. And he's going to do exactly that. Uh, and by the way, if you're anything over a 3.5, and particularly if your mortgage amount is higher than $300,000, uh, or even if it's 150K and you just want to free up some money and save yourself money over the lifetime of a loan, give him a call, 832-557-1095. Tell him we sent you. You're going to be very happy you did. Yeah, no, it, it's amazing some of the deals and some of the money you can save right now. So you got to take advantage of every – Every time when there's pros and cons, there's a lot of cons going on right now uh, during 2020, but this is one that you can really save some money. So uh, Paul's not bullshitting when he says get there. You also were not bullshitting when you told me that UTEP is as bad as it gets. So I met some friends, went to Bob's Steak and Chop House. Shout out to Sal. Man, they do a good piece of meat there. Their steaks and their pork chops are, are really damn good too, but... It was really good. We're watching different football, and then I've got my phone at the table all set up, so we're all watching UTEP and SFA on ESPN3. Talk about something you can do now in 2020 at a nice steakhouse, which is totally acceptable, but if we would have done that when we were kids, we would have gotten slapped or kicked out. Yeah, right- <laughs> exactly right. You know what I mean? And rightfully so. But Sal was coming over. He was like, he's, a, he's from El Paso. He's like, what's going on? And I said, what's going on is UTEP's down 14-3. to Now, they ended up winning that game. They've got a couple skill guys that I saw that I thought, okay, this is better than maybe I thought for a one-win type team that feels like they probably should be in the FCS. But, man, up front, they're dog shit. Yeah, they are not a good football team. And no. We talked about that line. As, as it was minus 42. It's gone up to minus 43. Uh, which is actually kind of bummer, right? Because you can beat someone's ass 49 to 7 and you, you don't cover, right? That's that's brutal. But yeah, I, I watched the minors. I did my bit for the podcast for Inside Texas. And uh, boy, I, I can tell you what, I liked wide receiver Jacob Cowing. He's a quick, elusive wide receiver, made some nice plays. They had another wide receiver named Garrett, who's just this sort of standard chain mover, big body receiver. Nothing special, but he's got good hands. And then they had a good, solid power running back in Deion Hankins. Yeah. And the funniest thing about the game, Kevin, I don't know if you noticed this, but they started Quadris uh, Wadley at running back. He was benched after tiptoeing, running through holes, and then he dropped a third down pass that would have been for, good for a first down. I didn't then see the start. Play, yeah, and then they tried to play this guy Fields at running back, who was their elusive back. He had 24 yards on 11 carries. So they put in Deion Hankins late, and Hankins bust out 113 yards and two touchdowns and a couple of uh, massive, vicious trucks of FFA defenders. And uh, I think he secured the starting job going forward. But how the hell is that guy the third guy running back you put on the field? So, so we, we, you know, we were all uh, Ubering down there and meeting down there. And then, obviously, I didn't break out the phone right away during, uh, during appetizers and saying hi to Sal and my buddies. Uh, but they wanted to watch and, and just get, you know, keep an eye on him. So by the time we turned on, I think he was the guy in there. I mean, I just assumed at UTEP that the way he was running, and you're right, he trucked a couple guys – there's no way that he was the third guy coming in. <laughs> no, no, that's uh, that's funny. And and Dana Dimmel, you know, I'm obsessed with what coaches wear now. After the the uh, Matt Rule experience and his baby big baby bib coaching smock that he wore all of last year. Right. 
So David Dimmel is a portly gentleman, but he's got a, a manly Ron Swanson mustache. And <laughs> so he's wearing his mask, and he's wearing a white coaching muumuu to cover his gut. And God help me, he looked like a drag queen midwife. <laughs> Oh my god! I saw every time the camera pans to that guy, I burst out laughing. I, and I'm sitting by myself watching, you know, ESPN Ocho on my iPad, right? Right. And I'm laughing to myself because of what this coach is wearing and how he looks. And I'm like, this is this is the pandemic. I'm I'm laughing to myself like a madman watching a bad football game by myself. What the hell is wrong with me in my life? We were all laughing, too, um, and there were similar comments that were thrown out by those guys and me that, uh, yeah, no, we we were having a good time with it. Um, that's what you have to do, though. I, I think in weird times like this, you got to be able to laugh. I think what we talked about silver linings or at least stuff you should carry over with behaviors or attitude or fitness, we've talked about that. But in terms of attitudes, and I think I learned this during chemo, I always had it, but I sharpened it during chemo, and I've probably taken it too much in, in, into my adult life to where there are times where I'm like, all right, you know, not everything's – you can't look at everything as there's a, there's something funny about it. But the the kind of the, – the sicker the times get, the more you can laugh by yourself at shit like that, and you should. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right. So, hey, so, so what is UTEP going to uh, – what is Texas going to see from them, and how how do you expect Texas to either play them or do they play what they want to kind of work on? Because this is a now a 43-point line, and I'm sure they're going to game plan a little bit for UTEP, but how do you see that matchup outside of Texas beating the shit out of them? Well, the matchup's pretty good, and the reason I say that, so here's a little disconcerting thing, and either Tom had not watched film yet or he was playing a little misdirection, but he's like, yeah, UTEP, this Dana Dimmel, that's a K-State influence. They're going to heavily involve the running quarterback. They're going to do a lot of options. Uh, UTEP doesn't do anything like that. Gavin Hardison, their quarterback, is fairly immobile. He's not a running quarterback. And they are a straightforward, conventional, three wide receiver, one tight end, power running between the tackles, uh, RPO, three to five step drop back passing team. So and that's it. Well, if Herman can identify anything, he should be able to identify 11 personnel. I, I would think he, his, his, his deep affection for 11 personnel, he should be able to spot that immediately. And the UTEP tight end was just a blocker. They usually kept him in on passing down to uh, help with protection. And uh, by the way, SFA is not one of these non-FBS schools that's dangerous, right? They're not North Dakota State or something like that. They, I think they were a, like a four-win football team last year. So SFA was not good. Their quarterback was not good at all. No. And uh, it was just this was a look, it was just a football game between two bad teams. Utah was clearly the better team over time. Once they cleared up, they're learning how to play the perimeter screen game and what a bubble screen is. Then they pretty much shut SFA down. But yeah, I mean, Utah is a very conventional offense from what I saw. Maybe. Maybe Gavin Hardison is secretly a 4-4 sprinter, Taysom Hill clone, and he just decided to hold it all back and sandbagging for us. But uh, I don't think so. I think he is what he looks like. And as far as the quarterback, he's fairly weak-armed. Anything he threw outside of the hashes was a fluttery jump ball, which his receivers were able to make plays on. And uh, he's fairly accurate between the hashes. He made a couple of nice RPO throws. I thought he was pretty calm in the pocket, which is good. But he's a, a... you know, substandard FBS quarterback. And as I said, the two skill players that I thought caught my attention and, you know, could play for Texas were Jacob Cowling, the wide receiver. He's kind of a light, 170-pound, quick guy. Very similar, I think, to Josh Moore. What we're going to see from Josh Moore this year for Texas. And then uh, Deion Hankins is a very conventional power running back with, with good strength and good, good, good uh, explosiveness. The thing about a power runner, though, is if you have penetration early, which Texas defensive line is going to get, you just you don't have that stop start. You don't get that clean go where you can use your power. And so I think that's going to really blunt his effectiveness. So on that offense, I don't think UTEP offers much. On defense, they had an outside edge rusher named Praise 
yeah. who uh, got a lot of attention in the offseason as, as one of their viable players. And I wrote about him in my preview. And I was really interested in watching him. He's number 23. He looks great on the hook. You know, this dude, 6'4", 245, thin waist, you know, looks great in the uniform. He didn't have a tackle. And he had two pressures on the quarterback. He really wasn't a difference maker. Uh, they single block him most of the time. So maybe he's got something more to his game, but I didn't really see it against SFA. The rest of the UTEP defenders were mostly jagged. Uh, they had a, a couple of opportunistic turnovers by their players in the secondary. Uh, their cornerbacks were very soft, not strong and resisting edge blocks, perimeter blocks. They didn't support the run well. They got exploited early by SFA in the perimeter bubble screen game by not being physical enough. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think UTEP is very good. So, 43-point spread, trying to handicap whether you can beat someone 56-7 to seven where you cover or 52-10 to 10 where you don't cover, uh, that's tough. You know, that's really about Tom Herman as much as UTEP. So, what are your thoughts on UTEP? Uh, my thoughts are, you mentioned the corners, and I saw the same thing And of their, what did they return on defense? I think they returned five starters, but two of those guys were the cornerbacks in Lowe and Caldwell. So I I expected more out of them. Same thing who had redshirted. He's a redshirt sophomore, but was a guy who'd come in with uh, eight or nine starts last year and had three sacks. And, you know, I mean, look, you're trying to find anything. Josh Ortega, I believe, is the is the opposite end. So those are some of the starters on defense they returned. And I knew that they, base-wise, kind of ran out of a 4-2-5. I, I just I, – I wasn't overly impressed. Uh, but then again, also, I mean, some of that's their competition. I, I think I was more unimpressed with the lumberjack quarterback at times to where – it may have been an incompletion, and they're they're going to punt, but I wasn't necessarily sold on the UTEP defense. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I, I, we could sit and probably spend 30 minutes trying to dissect UTEP, but I think even that level of attention suggests that they're worth that level of attention in terms of talent or scheme. And the fact is, this is a pretty straightforward opponent that Texas should smash. Yeah, no, it's all about Texas, so let's get there because they did release their depth chart. If you've been listening to this podcast, a lot of uh, what you've heard, maybe you were thinking, all right, there's no way. Once they give the depth chart, Brennan Eagles is going to be the starter, right? And then once they give the depth chart, there's no way Josh Thompson's going to be a starting cornerback. It's going to be Jalen Green, who somehow the last week did enough to be opposite of Deshaun Jameson. No, I mean, everything that we've heard is and been saying on this podcast kind of came true. Tariq Black is the X ahead of Brennan Eagles. You got Jake Smith at the H ahead of Jordan Winnington, and then Josh Moore is the starting Z with Alvante Woodard behind him. I definitely want to get all your thoughts on this. The other stuff we'd kind of heard, especially once Hookfin went out, was Okafor at right guard, Christian Jones at right tackle. That came true. And getting back to Josh Thompson, Josh Thompson did enough to be the starting corner with Adam Moore of the Spur, which was the worst kept, kept secret in town. Yeah, that's right. I, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on on how these skill players and how the ball can be distributed? Because the way I see it right now is Sam is the man, and they're going to have skill players around him by committee. Yeah, no doubt. At, at tight end, at running back, and at wide receiver. Yep, I think you're going to see Cade and Wiley a bunch, and I think you probably will see some 12 personnel, which they ran during a scrimmage. And uh, Rod brought up a pretty good point. The 12 personnel is one of those things that can beat that inverted Tampa 2 that Heacock and Iowa State ran. Orlando took that from him. But you see that a lot in the Big 12 now, and the 12 personnel can kind of put them in a bind and put them in a weird position where they got to put enough in the box to actually deal with potential run game and bashing their ass and then also if the tight ends are good enough you can do some stuff so we'll see if Brewer and Wiley play that role but I'm with you man I think you're going to see Moore, Smith, Whittington, Black you're going to see Eagles you're going to see them try and get the ball to both Ingram, Johnson and maybe even Robinson but certainly the first two through the air in different ways so I think it's going to be by committee and it's going to be kind of what you know it's actually what every good offense should have if these guys we're talking about can all play that role, and I think they're talented enough to do that, but any good offense should be, well, what are they giving us, and we're going to take it. Yeah, I think that's right, and 
you know, honestly, I've, I've been the voice of caution on Brennan's Eagles because I think people have just assumed he's going to be the number one receiver because he has the most starts, he has the most returning yards, he scored six touchdowns last year, he had a few big games. But I, you know, I've heard too much about his practice habits. I've heard too much about attitude. I've heard too much about his ability to process on the field. And Juricic had a very interesting interview today, actually, right before we got on, where they asked about Brennan Eagles. And Yursic said, look, he runs a 4-4, but we need to get him running a 4-4 on a football field. Yeah. And that was the, the gist of what he said. And what he meant by that was he gets so caught up in not really understanding where to go or the clutter or not running a clean route that he effectively makes himself a possession receiver or a receiver that you can really cover. And he needs to be more of a – a knowledgeable guy who can run an option route and then really assertively bully someone down the field and, and win a ball. And so, you know, I've, I've always been sort of cautious on Brennan Eagles, and I still think he has a chance to emerge and be a big contributor for the team. But I think this is a positive example of the coaches not bending to the player and setting a standard with this depth chart. Now, Tariq Black's going to start, but Brennan Eagles is going to get snapped right away. He might get snapped on the second drive of the game. Right, and so the question is, does he pout about it, or does he go out and play his ass off? And they're going to be looking at everything. They're going to be looking at his blocking. They're going to be looking at how he's seeing uh, the, the coverages and the kind of routes he's running. And they're going to be looking at his attitude. And I think if you see positive progress, he's going to get more snaps and he'll be rewarded. If they see something negative, I think they'll give him a couple more opportunities and then probably effectively write him off. Wow. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, I, I would hope that he can get his get his crap together and and be able to be a part of this because he's got tons of talent. That's an interesting take, though. Defensively, really not that much of a surprise. The Jomo's the starting defensive end. Jacoby Jones behind him. I expect to see Broughton and Alfred Collins, who is actually a backup tackle to Taquan Graham, get some action. I expect Collins to see a lot of action and we talked about this a little bit last week, and man, I, I'm I'm excited for Jet Bush, who, as you pointed out, probably a month ago, was not your typical walk on. There were a lot of of scholarship opportunities. He just really wanted to come to UT, and I'm sure he can be a pretty good player. He's actually third string, or actually an oar with Leto at the Jack, backing up Osai. But I mean, I, I just kind of go through it, and I see Benda and Jaquis as backups. Um, are you sure that we shouldn't have got one of those Arizona guys? Yeah, I, you know, Colin Schooler, apparently we weren't interested. I mean, that's our story. Maybe we were, and he wasn't interested. I, I don't know, but boy, I, I kind of wish we would take, had taken a linebacker or, or saw someone in the grad transfer market. There's, you know, there wasn't a huge market of linebackers available, but yeah, that, that seemed like one that you want to go after. Um, I'm not hugely confident, and we'll just have to see. You know, we'll just have to watch and wait and, and see how it develops. But, yeah, I think linebacker is the area that you can point to as a concern. And I would say the other thing that you brought up the intro of the segment is Josh Thompson and the coach's insistence that he can be a dominant press quarters coverage corner. And if you look at him physically, he's over six feet tall. He's over 200 pounds. He's he can got, run a 4-4. Four, four. He's, he's one of the fastest guys on the team in a straight line. But you and I have watched enough football to know that cornerback, that's great as, as a starting point of raw physical traits. But it's really more about your ability to change direction, quickness, anticipation, backpedal, recovery. All those things are the things that really make a difference, no matter what kind of coverage you're playing, whether that's off coverage or press man. Yes, it is. And I, I kind of – I'm curious how that one's going to play out if Josh Thompson is going to be the starting cornerback in five or six weeks. He's got Kenyatta Watson behind him. Both those guys have some length, and I know they like that. And like you said, especially with the quarters press that they're running – Jamison has the best instincts. Do you expect – what are you hearing from Jalen Green? What, what, why was Jalen Green beat out? Was it a Jalen thing like Brennan Eagles, or was it a Josh Thompson thing who was just that good? I, I think they wanted that physicality and that strength and that pure speed. I mean, it's probably not a coincidence that the two fastest defensive backs are starting at corner. 
right, in a straight line at least. And, and Deshaun Jameson is actually not just a straight line guy, obviously he's very quick. But, you know, I, I don't know. Truly, I don't have insight into it. I, I just think they, they wanted something different and they weren't satisfied with what Jalen Green was giving them. That said, Jalen Green, I think, is the primary backup at both cornerbacks. And I think he'll be rotated in early in that UTEP game. And I think they're going to give him an opportunity to show what he can do as well. So I would say don't, don't write off Jalen Green. I think he is the primary backup at both corner spots. And then also, I think Josh Thompson, just because we're leery of him and we've been burned before by new staff who come in and they evaluate, you know, this kind of the Nation Hughes situation where they come in in the offseason and, like, they see this guy who's 6'4", 250, running a 4'5", 540, and he looks like a Greek god. And they're like, holy cow, how are, they, how are they not maximizing this guy? And then they find out during the season. So we'll see if it's that situation or, or if these coaches really are teachers and they really do understand what they're doing, maybe they're going to revive him. And they're, maybe they're going, to, they're going to make him a project that's going to pan out. And there's a long, distinguished history at University of Texas of VDs who disappoint early in their careers and graduate as either all-conference or all-American players. Yeah. No, there are. You're just bringing up the guys when new staffs come in. Uh, I just couldn't get Bobby Jack Wright turning Aaron Humphrey into the middle linebacker out of my head. The middle linebacker. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, Skip Hicks and UCLA took advantage of that. Uh, yeah. It's funny. Do you remember the game before that against Rutgers? Yeah, they blew I mean, him out. Humphrey had two or three interceptions. Yeah, he did, which which is also I'm, – I'm glad you brought that up because that's a great example, and Paul and I try and stay away from this. I think we do a pretty good job of it. You will not hear us talking about just how incredible Texas is next week, even if they win 80 to nothing. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I, I think I've been up front on the podcast, and I've been up front in my preview that I think UTEP is real, real bad. And I'm not talking about you schedule right bad. I mean, I think they're real, real bad. And they may not be the utter disaster of last year where they went 1-11, uh, but this is a team that's been 2-34 and over the last three years. They've been 11-49 and over the last five. So let's, let's just kind of be clear that this is not a, a respectable FBS team. And, you know, they were ranked 130th out of 130 schools and special teams last year. Jeez. So – this is a good opportunity for Deshaun Jameson to house a kick. What do you say? Yeah, no, let's take one back. Uh, some other stuff on the depth chart. And by the way, you're right. The Texas special teams have to be uh, a hell of a lot better. That is, as we said, it's not a third of the game anymore. Even if it's 20%, it's still something where you can get hidden yardage and and maybe sneak a score in and also avert really big damage, which is a lot of time if you can just stay even, keep your head above water, if you've got a better football team then uh, if you do that on special teams, you'll probably end up winning. Chris Brown, no shock, Caden Stearns is a starting safety. Chris Brown beats beats out B.J. Foster. We had kind of been hearing that, and they stuck with it. What's going on with B.J.? I, I, I'm shocked that, what, his junior year, he's not starting. I think he's the primary backup at three positions. I think he's the primary backup at Spur, no matter what the depth chart says. That says Anthony Cook uh, behind Chris Adamore. I think it's B.J. Foster. I think he's the primary backup behind Chris Brown. I think he's the primary backup behind Caden Stearns, to tell you the truth. And I'll also tell you, I think Caden Stearns has a lot to prove this year. I do, too. I think he, I think he gets by. Frankly, you saw this at the media voting of the All-Big 12 uh, preseason team. He was first-team safety, and he does not deserve that. He, he did, and I'm a, I'm a Texas fan. I'm a Caden Stearns fan. But he doesn't deserve it. And that's based on freshman reputation. That's based on name familiarity. And I can tell you there are more reliable safeties in the Big 12 than Caden Stearns that I would choose because I, although, I, and believe me, I've documented how he was handicapped by the scheme last year. Uh, he was not an impact player, and he missed a lot of tackles. He wasn't very physical. And I think there were some questions about his mental toughness and, and durability. So I think he's got a lot to prove. And uh, I want to see it because this Chris Ash defense, as they conceive of it, for Caden Stearns, he is the true deep middle fielder, reading the ball, reading routes. He's getting a good look at the offense and what's unfolding in front of him. And it's all about making good decisions, breaking on the ball, and using your instincts, and being that last man. And Caden Stearns was 
cut out for that role. So there's no reason he shouldn't excel. And if he doesn't excel, it's not a coaching problem. It's a Katie Stern problem. And I think he's going to come through, but he needs to prove it to me. Yeah, I know I'm with you. I mean, he made so many plays his freshman year, and then last year, really all these guys, but specifically him, I you just kind of scratched your head. And as you said, you kind of go back to scheme. But in terms of reliable or better safeties, TCU has two better ones, more reliable right now. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, they do. Uh, our Darius Washington is the guy that's talked about the least, and he is a little honey badger clone out there. Yep. He's the guy that Texas fans should watch. I think – TCU's football team is kind of like OU, right? They're not getting as much press for kind of how they're falling apart. But TCU's falling apart a little bit. I can tell you they're not falling apart at safety. So uh, I think there's some other areas where Texas can exploit them. But I wouldn't be attacking the middle of the field over and over against those two safeties that they've got. Uh, they're, they're really good players and probably should both be the first team all big 12 safeties. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I think Chris Brown is probably the most reliable player on the defense other than Joseph Osai in terms of we absolutely know we can count on. I suspect Keandre Coburn is going to be an old reliable very quickly. But, you know, I love Brown. And, and when people say, you know, how can you not start B.J. Foster, I hear you. I love B.J. Foster. But Chris Brown, who that's a dude that it's very difficult for a coach to take him off the field. Yeah. No, it is. Hopefully it's just a lot of depth, and, and that's what Texas – is dealing with hey if you're dealing with some just kind of weird financial times right now we've got someone part of the family who can really help you out he is a fiduciary financial advisor from forum financial really good at what he does david mcclellan was a former or i guess still is a former uh national champion swimmer here at ut but he's really been at every part of the industry so he's seen every part and he's been at forum financial doing a heck of a job and right now he's offering free consultations for all of our listeners so all you have to do is mention the podcast and he's going to help you out with uh, financial life coaching also retirement planning and really finding your financial freedom number which obviously has changed for a lot of people during uh, during these covid times so look this is a free consultation and he's really good at what he does. There's only so much we can say because of regulations, but just trust us. It's free. Give him a call. You can achieve your financial freedom faster. It's well worth your time to talk uh, talk with David and just see what David can do for you. It's 312-933-8823, 312-933-8823, or McClellan at formfin.com. Well, speaking of what people can do for you, our outstanding sponsors can do a lot for our listeners, and we're proud to have those guys on our team. But tell you some guys who are now scattered to the winds and coaching in different places or not coaching, if they're conferences of playing football, they didn't do much for old Malcolm Roach, did they, Kevin? Because word has come out that Malcolm Roach has made the 53-man roster for the New Orleans Saints as an undrafted free agent during the pandemic, which everyone has been very clear that making that a team as a rookie is incredibly difficult right now because teams are relying on veterans, they're relying on people who could get up to speed quickly. Not only that, Malcolm Roach went to, I would argue, probably the most loaded team in the NFL from top to bottom. Now, they don't have, I think, that Drew Brees is not what he was, right? He's not Patrick Mahomes where he can single-handedly will you to victory as, as Mahomes did in the Super Bowl. But everyone will tell you the Saints roster is rock solid across the board, especially the defensive line. Malcolm Roach goes there during COVID as a rookie, makes the squad as an undrafted free agent. This is a guy who I've argued repeatedly who's misused at UT. There are people on the board that would say, he's not a good pass rusher. I'm like, yes, he's a good pass rusher. We don't allow him to rush the passer. And he goes and makes the New Orleans Saints. He should have been a fourth-round pick. I think the Texas coaches and staff last year cost him several hundred thousand dollars. You know, I think they did. Look, uh, we talked about it our whole lifetime for different reasons, too. So when we were kids in the 80s, Texas had, especially from, you want to go from like 85 on, you know, the talent really dropped, and all of a sudden the Jerry Grays weren't coming as much. Now, Texas has always put out some DBs, but, I mean, you remember the offensive lines when we were kids in the mid to late yeah. 80s and what they looked like? 
You know, th- there was intermittent talent, which made that 90 run pretty special. And there were some, once again, getting back to defensive backs, you had your Stanley Richard, you had your Lance Gunn that played in the league. But, hell, I mean, even Grady Cabinus and Mark Berry wouldn't have played in the league. So uh, it's not like it was the anywhere near the 04-05 secondary where the, the seventh guy was going to end up playing in the league for a little while. But there's been different reasons. But the NFL has always, during our whole, whole lifetime, for different different reasons, they've disrespected Texas and almost treated it like a as a bargain bin. So in our lifetime, obviously, the most accumulation of talent would be during the Mac Brown era. So you can go 99 to what 08, 09, and those 10 years. But even then, the NFL looked at Texas as a joke just for a different reason because they knew guys had not been developed and they were probably a little bit softer. They were going to have to toughen them up. But there's always been some stigma or reputation about Texas during our lifetime from the NFL, and it's always been, you know what, there may be a, a, a sleeping giant or a diamond in the rough because they didn't know how to use it. Well, I, I think it's still this guy's secret. I think even Rod has talked about this. But this is a point of conversation among some former Texas players. Yes. Texas has been viewed as a bargain bin where you could get guys with third, fourth, fifth round talent, and you could get them as undrafted free agents. They end up making your team and playing for six to ten years. And, you know, you shape that reputation by winning. Because the truth is, as much as GMs and as much as scouts say they don't scout the helmet or they say that they scout the player and they don't worry about the one-loss record or anything like that, LSU had a sensationally talented team last year, but they don't get 14 players drafted if they don't win the national title. Right. And I think repeated exposure, repeated sort of demonstrations and this sort of association with winning, association with other good players, and just getting on film because you get more opportunities. Because, because they're coming to scout player X, suddenly they notice player Y. And, and there's a ton of scouting stories about just that, of guys getting noticed because they're coming to scout some marginal prospect. I think this is how Jerry Rice got discovered. And basically they just noticed the receiver who kept, you know, who's basically uncoverable. And they're like, who is that? And they're like, that's Jerry Rice. Okay, well, we're going to make note of him. And right. then, you know, word gets out. So I think there's been some element of that Texas. I think it will be addressed not only in terms of development and recruiting, because you actually do need talent, but then I think if you just win, because if you get that associative winning with your program, suddenly some of those guys who are undrafted free agents become fifth and sixth rounders. And some of those guys who are third rounders, suddenly, oh, he's an Alabama football player. You know what you're getting with Alabama. Well, the fact is, Alabama's got a bunch of dudes drafted in the first round who are busts. Yeah. And so does USC at the height of their program. So I just think you have to, to look at it in a holistic way, but – the main issue with Malcolm Roach is the talent, in my opinion, was always there, and I've always talked him up. I've always been a Malcolm Roach fan, and I just think he was utilized very poorly in the scheme. And the Saints have him a backup defensive tackle behind Sheldon Rankin, and Mr. Roach is going to be drawing an NFL paycheck for a while. So congratulations to him, and uh, let's hope Texas doesn't have a bunch of these undrafted free agent stories in the future. Let's, have, let's hope the next Malcolm Roach is drafted in the fourth round as he should have been. Absolutely, and, and that's what I'm hoping for with the new staff. A couple things. One, the, the contract that they even gave Roach, once the draft was over, you know, if you follow this long enough, you can see some of the contracts they're giving, and that's like, it's almost like preferred walk-on, like the article, the, the great article you did talking about the preferred walk-on program at Texas. Well, that was almost a preferred undrafted free agent, right? where where they had a sense that he was going to be good enough to make the team even when they signed him a day or two later after the draft or hours after the draft. Yeah, you, you could definitely see how coveted an undrafted free agent is based on the number of offers and based on what the signing bonus is, right? His, his will pay you to show up to camp. And the word is the Saints had to dish out a little bit, even though that's Malcolm Roach's hometown team, so to speak. Uh, he's from Baton Rouge, because obviously he's a Saints fan. And they had to dish out a little cash to get him to show up, because the Saints also had a reputation as, hey, this is a team that could be very difficult to make. Right. And, 
you know, if your agent's probably telling you, hey, man, go to Jacksonville, they're, <laughs> they're turning over a new lease. They're turning over a new page. Very few starting jobs are secured, much less the roster. That's where you need to go to get a job. You need to head to Jacksonville. But, you know, Malcolm, to his credit, took the cash, believed it himself, and then went and won himself a job. So, yeah, let's hope that Saquon Grahams and Keandre Coburns and guys like that, and they don't have to do that when they graduate and go to the NFL. Yep. So, uh, that's yeah, wishes on that one. Definitely the hope. Also, sad to see Malik Jefferson get cut. That's the third team that's cut him. I think the Eagles did sign him, so I'm hoping somewhere, man. He's, you know, obviously sideline to sideline is good, but there's something that that's not working for him. Yeah, I, I don't care to like conjecture on what it is, if it's mental, if it's whatever. But you know, a lot of times we talk about football players, and we ask like their desire or lack of desire to, to excel in football is like some character flaw. And but sometimes it is. If it's your best way out or if it's the best way to feed your family or if it's the best way to maximize yourself, then you need to treat it pretty seriously. But there's also guys with other options in life. And look, football is not a lot of fun a lot of the time. Right. And that's one of the things that distinguishes the sport. And baseball is always kind of fun. It's kind of grab-assy. Yeah. And <laughs> you're, you're out in a and, you know, and I, I understand. I know baseball players will get upset. I know you work hard. All that. But it's, it's not that hard all the time compared to football in terms of building your skills and the grind. And no, no, Paul, I mean, basketball. Paul, think about pitchers who shag fly balls and, like you said, kind of almost like kids would do, just chase line drives during their off days. And I know you got to get some workouts in, but there's no doubt. I mean, even with basketball, you can kind of – fart around and football there's just very little of that like if you've got pads on you're doing something which kind of sucks well that, not just that kevin you and i would go play pick up basketball for fun right we, we would go have fun and we go that was a good workout oh that was a good shot oh my god can you believe that guy kept calling fouls on everybody jesus <laughs> we had a good time if you and i went to go play tackle football right now at our age oh god day we'd be like Oh my! We, I mean, basically, we act like we were in a car wreck. Right. So, I mean, it's it's not a fun sport. What's fun about it is the sense of achievement, and you know, not everything in life should be fun, right? Some of the most most lasting and important things in your life weren't fun, but they were a challenge, and you surmounted it, or you maximized, and you learned something about yourself, and that's the value of football. Well. Football doesn't have to be a vehicle for every person to maximize who they are or to test themselves or to throw their effort into. And if Malik Jefferson isn't really fully committed on football, then he's a guy with other options in life. And I wish him well. And, you know, we were talking about scouting. Hey, man, the truth is, it's a hard truth, and no one wants to say it in the NFL, but they are very interested in a player's background and what their other options are when they draft you. Because if you're not all football all the time and you've got other options, remember the guy, oh, I'm blanking on his name, was it Myron Roll, the Florida State Rhodes Scholar? Yeah, Rhodes Scholar, right. Uh, that was a mark against him. Yeah. Because this is a guy who's got other options. So if football kind of sucks and it gets hard, he might just retire when he's 25 and go do other things. Yeah, well, actually, and, I, I can tell you what he's doing because during this COVID stuff, I saw him. Uh, he's a doctor now. There you go. Or, or is becoming one. He's on his way there. There you go. And, and the, the truth is, that is a mark against those guys. So, uh, you know, no one in the NFL will say it or, or articulate it, but it's the truth. You know, they want guys with what they view to be either a singular focus or limited options. And football is everything. And if you're a guy who's got other interests and you want to do other things, then you shouldn't just feel obligated to chase football. And, and try to fulfill other people's expectations of you. Yeah. You know, fulfill what's best for you. All right, man, before we get out of here, uh, first off, tell people, because I know you're thinking people are going to be thinking, hey, well, the game is in a couple days, or they may be listening to this on Saturday morning, whatever. Uh, actually, you should get Paul's preview, and you should get it the next couple weeks if you haven't, because you really get into not only where Texas is, kind of where they're going, but also opponents, too. Yeah, I, there's, you'll be 
hard-pressed to find a more exhaustive breakdown of all of our opponents. And the fact is, we don't play uh, Texas Tech until September 26th. So we've got a bunch of time still for you guys to get studied up on the old preview. And one of the funniest things, Kevin, that I, I laugh at is people will uh, say things or offer opinions or ask me things on the board sometimes. And it's very clear that I've written about it at depth in the previews. And they'll say, why don't you write an article about this? And I just sort of want to give them a sense of put up the Amazon link and go, I have. <laughs> just demonstrate it to me. Because they're always like, big fan. I'm a huge fan of yours. Why don't you and Kevin address this in the podcast? Or why don't you and Kevin, uh, why don't you write an article about this? And I'm like, I wrote freaking 32 pages on it, actually. <laughs> so uh, anyway, there's a lot of stuff in there. And I think folks will benefit from it. It's also a season companion. It doesn't get outdated or outmoded the minute the season kicks, you know, the ball kicks off for the first game of the season. And uh, I think folks who have read it, go to Amazon. It's got 24 reviews right now, all five stars. So uh, you don't want to believe me, go to Amazon, read the reviews. You can buy the preview at Smashwords on Apple or on your Kindle at Amazon, or you can get the paperback version. On Amazon, it'll tell you that the paperback is going to take you five or six days to get to you. That's not accurate. It's print on demand. It'll actually get to you within two days. So anyway, you guys who have bought the preview, thank you so much for your support. If you haven't bought the preview yet, hey, we're playing college football, folks. Go buy the preview. Man, it is here. I'm so uh, so glad. Final thoughts maybe before we get to uh, to UTEP. Is there anyone this year? I mean, is there like a Jake Smith or a uh, Reese Leto at defensive ends going to blow you away? Is there, is there someone that we haven't talked about that you think is going to be pretty good this year? I have a weird instinct that Josh Moore is going to be a guy who uh, wins, a, wins some games for us yep. and wins our hearts. I don't know if he's going to be – the leading receiver, but he is a guy that can separate, and separation is the name of the game of wide receiver. I'm with you. I, I'm I'm excited about the H position. I think both Jake Smith and Jordan Winnington are going to fit that perfectly, and when one may not be feeling it, the other will, and I think the offense will set them up well in that position. Really curious to see what Okafor and Jones look like, and I'm not sure we're going to find that out this weekend, but we're going to find it out sooner rather than later. We've talked about the depth at nose tackle. I don't know if Texas has had this depth since Chris Akins and Stoney Clark uh, in terms of – you like that? In terms of girth at a true nose, uh, and maybe not even a true nose, maybe a one, uh, but but on the nose. And then I'm trying to think of who else. You know, I, I've got to really hope Overshone is bought in because I think he could, he could fit perfectly at the will if – if he's grasped everything and he's all in. Yeah. I, I, he is a football player. So in that sense, he's all in. The problem is the minute he leaves the field, that 33 and a third by 100 yards strip, he's got a lot of people in his ear. <laughs> and he's got a lot of opinions being given to him that he needs to focus. Yeah. I, I compared him to a kitten in a room full of laser pointers. No oh, man. And he would benefit from a spotlight because he is a cat. So if he can get that spotlight focused on the rat, he's going to go kill a bunch of rats for you. Right. But he needs to stop looking at all the laser pointers and chasing them around. So that was a little cat reference for you, Kevin. Beautiful. To myself to you as a cat fanatic. <laughs> oh man, I saw these. I, I I love I love all cats, all 38 species, including uh, the the domesticated. But I've seen some good big cat videos lately. This jaguar that killed this deer and it was able to drag it up really quickly. This tree, like their yeah. their strength and power is amazing. It's unbelievable how powerful they are. And so I, these are the kind of idiot things I argue about. But a buddy of mine and I were out hiking and we started talking about mountain lions. And they said there's been a few mountain lion attacks in California, and they're not allowing them to be hunted. Surprise, surprise. So they're having some mountain lions in bay areas that are, you know, they had a mountain, they've got a mountain lion raiding people's porches in San Francisco, right, and attacking pets and things right. like that. So this, we were arguing, uh, I was saying, yeah, the most frequent person that mountain lion attack is usually women, usually joggers, because it's the size and it's also uh, the movement, right? The movement attracts them, and, it, you know, it's... It, draws out their impulse to chase and kill. Yeah, and no, so, it allows them to stalk them, too. Exactly. 
And so we were talking because you, know, you have your iPod, you know, you have your 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 earphones in. You're not aware of your environment. Not that that would help you much with a Cougar anyway. But uh, we were talking about it, and I was like, yeah, you know. He's like, but we don't have anything to worry about. And I was like, well, if it's sufficiently big, we have plenty to worry about. But you're right, statistically, it's not going to happen to us. And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, I mean, a 200 pound mountain lion could kill us. I was like, a 130 pound mountain lion could kill us. And he was arguing with me that a 130-pound mountain lion attacking us from surprise and ambush couldn't kill us. Yeah, it would. It, it would destroy y'all. It would break your neck yeah. on impact. Yeah. But I don't. People don't get it. It's crazy. I mean, it's the same people who think that they could wrestle a 120-pound, 125-pound chimp. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's just crazy. People anthropomorphize not just emotionally to animals, but they think. They, they take our scale of strength and try to apply it to animals. So they're like, there's no 125-pound person I know who could beat me up. So how could a 125-pound mountain lion kill me? And it's like, it's yeah. not a person. Uh, and that's the answer. All right. Good times, man. We'll talk next week, all right? Yeah, we will talk next week. And what all of y'all can do is support our fantastic sponsors. Hope that mortgage information I shared with you is persuasive about the need to go out and do a refi. David McClellan is freaking nailed, and he is a national champion swimmer. He, is, he has not lost that title unless Kevin is aware of a PED suspension that no. he's not maybe aware of. No, he is David a is also champion. unaware of the PED suspension, and uh, he probably his coaches have something to answer to because they gave him drugs on the fly. He's not aware of it. But uh, also, I need all of you guys to go to iTunes, rate, subscribe, and review. We're going to have a good college football season. Let's get after it.